we'll take that. A couple of things. Um, we, one thing we forgot to mention before, which Caleb reminded me after he sat down, we had some late notices coming today for Sylvie Palladino. For some of you who might know her, there's a concert she's doing in conjunction with the Life Church in Rupna. Uh, they're raising funds for a work in Indonesia um, that they've got over there. So that's on, on April 13th, a couple of weeks away. There's some more flyers there if you're interested in uh, going on to that in Rupna in a couple of weeks. But also... Um, now, Gospel Partnership here at Exchange, you might know that as, as membership, but uh, we're kicking that off again next Sunday. We do this a couple of times a year, just um, offering for people who want to take that next step, as it were, and uh, come and join the Gospel Partnership at Exchange. So if you're interested possibly in something like that, please come and see me. Uh, we'll be looking to make a start on it next Sunday. And then there's two sessions, one next Sunday and one obviously the Sunday after, after that as well. But if you're interested, yeah, please uh, come and see me and I'll um, give you some more information on that. Okay, let me start this. We are still going uh, through Jeremiah, which I'm really enjoying as we uh, continue to study that and uh, see the Lord's work uh, many thousands of years ago as he actually um, prepares his people for Christ to come and then uh, we see him reveal his purposes uh, through that as well. Um, Just to kick off, has uh, anybody ever seen the film put out in the 1990s called Leap of Faith? It's a few hands gone up, yep. Uh, It was um, a film about con men preachers fleecing money out of people wherever they set up their crusades. It was a uh, hilariously funny film, but also a terribly sad film at the same time. And I say uh, sad because in, in a way it was the world giving us their view of, uh, of the falseness or fakeness of con men preachers just um, abusing people's lives and trying to fleece them of money. And uh, unfortunately it was true. It was true. And it was sad in that sense, although, like I said, funny the way they did do it, but um, certainly a, a, a definite touch of sadness. Uh, today we're going to see something similar in the book of Jeremiah. As we think back uh, to Jeremiah's day, nothing's really changed. Uh, we're going to see the same thing there again uh, for us. And So if you've got your Bibles there, please uh, go to Jeremiah 23. And we're going to look at chapters 21 to 23 today, but I'll just take our first reading here from verses 1 to 4 in Jeremiah 23. Uh, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you've scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to the fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall be any missing, declares the Lord. Father, we uh, thank you and praise you today that we can come again uh, freely around your word. I just ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. God, we come today, uh, Lord, with all sorts of weeks and all sorts of situations. And Lord, your word tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. So we ask now, Holy Spirit, please grow our faith as we think about this truth and apply it to our hearts and uh, live it out through our lives. So we pray now for your help and assistance today. 
as we think about this and uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Originally, I was going to do one talk sort of covering true shepherds, uh, false shepherds and true shepherds and doing sort of a contrast there. But the, the more I got into it, the more time I thought she actually need to spend on false shepherds and then true shepherds. So it's now actually going to be two talks over a couple of weeks. Um, Rob is going to share with us next week, Rob Finster. So you'll have to come back in two weeks time, which I'm sure you all will, to hear the second talk as we sort of put the two together here uh, today. Having said that, though, at the risk of sounding like a scratched or broken record, we need again to see uh, what context leads up to today's passage for God to say something uh, quite dramatic as that. Um, In many respects, you can read the book of Jeremiah and think it's just sort of woe, doom and gloom all the time. But that's not true. That's not true. If you keep your eyes open, you'll see God's grace shining through many, many passages here time and time again in Jeremiah. Yes, it is certainly mixed in with large, large amounts of Judah's reckless, godless living. And it is amongst God's right anger and judgments towards them. But God's mercy and grace does come through. For Judah, it's like they've got tunnel vision. They can only see one path for them. They've only got eyes for themselves. They continually thumb their noses at God and walk away from the covenant or the agreement they made with God in the wilderness uh, through Moses uh, many years before. And what makes up a large part of this godless living that they were involved in or indulged in or living out of that time was the king, the prophets and the priests. They were godless kings, godless prophets and they were godless priests. They were false through and through, and particularly at this time where Jeremiah's at. These guys, prophets, priests, kings, the leaders of Israel, were hopelessly and willfully uh, led them astray, led the people of Israel or the people of Judah astray and away from God. And unfortunately, the people that they were leading loved it in that way. And so they followed these leaders gladly away from God. To help us see a bit of that, let's just read a couple of portions, one out of Jeremiah 21, and we'll see what's happening here where God says, hey Judah, you will be invaded. You will be invaded. We'll pick it up here in Jeremiah 21. Uh, one. It says this. <coughs> Not quite that pitch of voice, though. It says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Peshur, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Maasiah, saying... So the king's saying, hey, Jeremiah, what about this? Inquire of the Lord for us, Jeremiah, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. So it's not about their wonderful deeds because they have no wonderful deeds. Perhaps your wonderful deeds will make him withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah in verse 3 says this, "Thus Thus you shall say to them, Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will strike down the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast." They shall die of a great pestilence. Afterward, declares the Lord, I will give King Zedekiah, King of Judah, and his servants, and the people in the city who survived the pestilence, sword, and famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies. 
into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword. He shall not pity them, nor spare them, or have compassion. Strong graphic words. Can you please ask God whether he might withdraw the hand of Nebuchadnezzar? God says, no, that's not going to happen. You guys have gone too far. I'm actually going to declare my justice and they will come in. It's going to happen. Jeremiah 22 is this. It's a charge against the king. It's like God saying, hey, this is who you are and this is what you're up to. You should have led them in a godly way, but you haven't. We pick it up in verse 13. Woe to him, so he's talking about um, Zedekiah, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbour serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, panelling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think, this is God now, do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? That's King Josiah. Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practising oppression and violence. Not a good picture of the king, is it? He just wants to live a lavish lifestyle, all at the expense of everybody else. Come and build my house, but I'm not going to pay you. That's the, the backdrop we see here of why God is responding the way he's responding. It's not good. And now we come into verse uh, chapter 23, where he picks up here. It's about the king, it's about the prophets, and it's about the priests. God calls them out for their corruption and their falseness before him. And we we'll look at that today, and we're going to set this up as false shepherds or false leaders with their false words. And we'll set this up against the true leader, the true leader, the true shepherd, the true prophet, priest, and king. So the king and the priest and the prophet were all responsible to lead people in a Godward direction. That was their charge as God's appointed leaders. They were to abide by the covenant that they had made with God in the wilderness. That was to lead them in God's ways and to govern them correctly. They were meant to set the pace, as it were, to be an example of holy living before the Lord. They were meant to teach the people about what it is to glorify God in everything that they do. They were meant to bring correction to people as they strayed away from God. This is what the leaders of Israel and Judah were meant to do and charged by God. But as we've seen, we saw bits and pieces just then as we read, what they were doing wasn't even coming close to what they were called to do. It couldn't be any further from that. They were false. They were deceived and they were corrupted and they loved to do it that way. Let's have a little look here what God says, what they're up to. As we think about chapter 23 here, it says in verses 1 and 2 this, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock, you have driven them away, you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. For your evil deeds, declares the Lord. These shepherds, these leaders of Judah, don't truly love the people they're meant to be leading or shepherding. You don't care for them. 
Your falseness is all about scattering them, pushing them away. You're not truly attending to them. This is not what a shepherd should be doing. You're not even caring or loving them. And God, as it were, pronounces this woe right at the start. Now, that's the opposite to a blessing. Woe is something bad is coming. God is saying, watch out, I'm coming for you, false shepherds, false priests, false prophets, false kings. This sets the tone for God's attitude. These are God's possession, God's loved people. And these leaders are leading them absolutely astray. Again, in verses 10 and 11, we see more. It says here in chapter 23, For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, which is the temple we're talking about there, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. It's probably one thing to carry the evil out in your own homes, but to bring that into God's house, the symbolic presence of where God is for the people, is brazen. Now, you might do it secretly at home, but now you're going to do it publicly in the symbolic presence of where God dwells. It's like church on Sunday morning, we're just going to bring all our evil in here. Brazenly, openly, defiantly. Verse 12. We see here God will show them their path for this way of living, this way of leading. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. God's telling them this is the path of false teachers. This is the path of false priests, prophets and kings. It's a slippery path down into darkness. If you follow their ways, you will go down that slippery path and you will go into the darkness exactly where these guys are going. Verse 13. There's more to be said about these false teachers. They're bringing in other gods. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavoury thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. These false teachers are saying, there's many roads to God. There's many ways you can get to God. It doesn't have to necessarily be through the the temple sacrifice system as what they were thinking about back then. There's many ways of getting to God. These false teachers were so unloving that they would not even offend with the truth of who God is at this particular point. They just grasped anything and brought it in. Um, I once heard Oprah Winfrey a very smart, powerful, intelligent woman. She is very smart, powerful, intelligent. And she actually claims to be a Christian. But she says this, it doesn't matter who you follow. You can follow Islam, you can follow Hindu, you can follow Scientology, you can follow Taoism, you can follow anything you like. All those paths get to God. Verse 14. It goes further. You won't call me to holy living. He's saying you'll leave us in our destructive ways. It says this, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. 
They're not turning the people from this evil path of life back towards God. They're strengthening their hands in this evilness. This is a clear picture of these false prophets, false priests, false kings. They're actually um, condoning, encouraging, confirming them in their evilness. They're not calling them out to say, hey, you need to come back to God. They're actually strengthening their hands and strengthening, as it were, their grip around evil ways. They're preaching a false, soft message that doesn't call people out for their sin. He's quite prepared to see them go down this slippery path and end in darkness. Verses 16 and 17, there's more. They fill their minds with empty hopes here. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. False words, false hope, empty promises. As it were, we're told that they make up these imaginations in their own mind. It is not a word that comes from God. It's a fabrication of their own mind. It's a smooth message of flattery just to make the people feel good, despite their broken, godless living. They're going down the path of evil and they're just giving them empty vain promise. It's all right. It's all right. Nothing will go wrong. God isn't really that strict. He knows you'll make a few mistakes. It's all grace anyway. Hey, the Bible really, it's up to your own interpretation. Whatever it says to you is good for you. It's all right. Nothing bad will happen. Giving them empty, vain promises. Not giving them the truth they need to live a life that glorifies God. It goes further. These prophets go around actually attaching God's name onto all these false deceptions as well. To, to like give it the stamp of authority. Verses 31 and 32. Behold, I'm against these prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit those people at all, declares the Lord. Here's the picture. They will say their own imagination that I might end it with, and the Lord told me to tell you this. Or God's got a message from you from me. Their own imagination, and they're attaching the Lord's name on the end of it. They're saying something, and this is a word from the Lord, direct through me. They're sort of trying to put this, as it were, this magic formula on the end of their vain imaginations. It's like if you're playing a game of cards, you pull out the joker card, that just trumps everything. I just attach the name's Lord on the end of this, thus saith the Lord to my message, and it's like, okay, well, I can't, how can I refuse that? How can I deny that or question that? Because, you know, God said it. And they're willingly just attaching God's name to whatever their vain imagination is and going on and saying that. It's a really long list there if you read through chapter 23 slowly. God's got lots of things to say here to these guys. They've filled their lives up with smooth talk and lies. They thrive in flattery and promise, health, wealth, as it were, prosperity. And they'll 
speak with the authority of God by attaching his name to whatever they've said, but God isn't a part of it at all. What's the course and what's the end of all of that? Well, it's really obvious. God's been saying it to them all the way through this chapter. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. I pronounce woe against you. That is the end result of false teachers, false prophets, false priests, false kings who aren't going to be true to the Lord. Judgment is coming. It's no different today for us in the world we live in. We're talking, you know, Jeremiah two and a half thousand years ago. It's really no different today for where we are. We live in an age where we have amazingly unlimited access through the internet to teachers all over the world. It's just at the click of a mouse button. That's all it is. YouTube is a great place to get some really, really good God-honouring teaching that magnifies them. It really is. You can get some great stuff in there and it costs you nothing except maybe a bit of data. And there's some great stuff there that really does bring the gospel to bear upon our lives. But at the same time, YouTube is a dangerous place for false teaching. You'll get both on there. You'll get some really, really good stuff and you'll get some really, really dangerous stuff as well. You can go on there and you'll, you, can, you can get hold of these false teachers and they look amazingly slick in their presentations. It just looks so smooth. It just looks so coordinated. These guys have got all the right media facilities. They just look like a professional organisation. Just that sort of makes you feel like there's some sort of you know, uh, stamp of authority with them. And often these false teachers can be really, really gifted communicators. They can stand up there and they can just let those words flow out and it just sounds so amazing the way they speak. They sound so convincing when they're talking. And their ideas just flow and they just seem so confident and easy to get confused by them. And sometimes they'll even, they'll even grab scriptures and they'll put them to the things they're talking about, which are false, but it sort of makes it look right when they put this scripture alongside it. It's very deceiving and very confusing. Everything seems to come out so easily and it makes me feel so good about myself when these false teachers talk. It becomes very much like a man-centred gospel about the gospel's all about me and not about Jesus Christ. They tell me, often these false teachers, that God has a mountain of blessing that he wants to bring my way. If I can just pick up these three simple steps, that will unlock the treasures of heaven upon my life. It does happen. And they'll even sometimes get a scripture to back it up, or so it seems. I had a copy of a letter here from one of these false teachers uh, given to me by a friend. He said, look, have a look at this and tell me what you think. And this letter was promising prosperity or financial success uh, in his life. And he had a scripture, this false teacher had a scripture, and he took the scripture from Genesis 26, we're not going to go to it now, but it was where Isaac was blessed by God through his crops. And the principle that this so-called false teacher so-called saw in that particular passage was that if you sowed money, just like Isaac sowed seed into the ground, if you sowed money into this false teacher's ministry, then you will get a blessing just like Isaac got a blessing from sowing the money, uh, sowing the crop into the ground. And he went on for about half a page of letter saying this is a principle of God's word. Totally, totally out of context. 
If you sow money into my ministry, God will rain a blessing upon you a hundredfold. Now, some people pick it up straight away and say, yeah, no, 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 no way. But other people actually just give money, expecting to get the hundredfold increase from this false teacher. To the uninformed, it seems plausible. It does, because he's sort of got this scripture and it sort of looks right. It's not unusual for false teachers to do this. If you go through the New Testament, you'll actually see they were often battling against false teachers in the churches back then. They'll take the scriptures and they'll twist them to say what they want them to say. Uh, in 2 Peter 3, 15, 16, Peter tells us about this. He says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all these letters when he speaks of them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Paul's saying the same thing here. People are taking a scripture and they're twisting it and changing it, or the context they're changing around about it, to say something totally different than what Paul intended to be said. And you can go to the Bible and you can probably find anything you want there to back up your own personal idea. But the only way that you could do that is if you took that particular passage or verse or chapter, pulled it right out of its context. Then you could yeah, possibly make it say what you want. But you're not reading the Bible properly then. You're not reading the Bible in the whole integrity of the Bible. It was happening back in their day. They're taking scripture and they were twisting it to suit their own unstable ways. And sadly, these people attach God's name to it. Thus saith the Lord, sort of gets put on the end of what they've just said. It's like, who can question this God's approval upon what they've just said? And what they promise, as I said, will sound so good, it's an easy salvation. This is a life where there's no call to take up my cross. There's no call to make sacrifice for the gospel. There's no call to, to die daily, as it were, to my domineering, selfish desires. It's a soft, easy way, and people will gravitate towards this. It'll be appealing for people. Again, in Jeremiah 5, it says this. Early on, we read this. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their own direction. My people love to have it so. That's just how we want it. Something that suits me. And they gravitate towards this. Paul tells us the same thing in the New Testament. 500 years later, and it's still applicable today, says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, my agenda, my lifestyle, how I want to live life, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into a myth. Happening today. They'll accumulate their own particular false teachers that satisfies their own agenda, that satisfies their own passions. It's a warning back then, it's a warning today. False teachers are in the world. And the world we live in sees through this falseness. What do you think they made that movie back in the 1990s? They see right through it. They see the fakeness and they see the phoniness. 
And it's laughable to them when they... Like it's, that's why they made a comedy out of it, because it was laughable and terribly sad at the same time. And the world sees that it's a cruelty because they can see these false teachers, as it were, um, fleecing money out of people who can least afford to give it often. We often hear out of the Western world this health, wealth and prosperity gospel. If you go into some of the nations of Asia and Africa, they are stripping all sorts of money out of these poor people here, promising all sorts of fantastic things that they'll just sow money into the ministry. And the world looks on and says, you guys are a joke. How cruel can you be that you would do this to vulnerable people? The world sees through this falseness. It really, really does. So here's the question. How do we know the false from the true? We've just given a fair run for the false there. How do we know the false from the true? Well, God does something that we could never, ever do in ourselves. We could never do this ourselves. Ever since sin and brokenness has entered into this world... We've had a bent, every one of us, towards falseness. Every one of us has a bent in that way. Whether it's exaggeration of the truth, just to inflate the facts to make a story sound good, which is just another way of covering up a lie. Some ways we often do it to make ourselves look better at the expenses of other people. We have a bent. Some people are bent more than others, but we have a bent towards falseness. Complete truth, all the time, is impossible for us. God does something about this though. Look in Jeremiah 23 with me. Again in verses 5 and 6. He says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. What's God doing? He's raising up a branch. He's raising up a branch. There will be somebody from the family tree of the house of David that God has hand-selected. He's raising up a branch. This person will deal wisely. In other words, this person will speak in truth, think in truth, and act in truth. This is somebody that God is raising up. This person that God raises up will execute justice and righteousness. Not like what King Zedekiah was doing, not paying those guys building his great house. That's injustice. This king, the branch that God will raise up, he will not let injustice go unpunished. He will execute justice and righteousness. What is God doing? God is raising up a true prophet. God is raising up a true priest. And God is raising up a true king who will lead his people into a true life that glorifies God. This is God's grace, which is totally undeserved for the people of Judah back then. And totally undeserved for us today. But this is what God is doing. And what is his name there? It says there, he's the Lord our righteousness. He's the Lord our righteousness. Who is this person that God is raising up? It can be none other than Jesus Christ our Lord, who is our righteousness before God the Father. It is Jesus Christ. This points directly to who God is raising up. 
This follows the whole thread of the historical salvation from Genesis through to Revelation. This is God's will to raise up a righteous branch in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our true prophet. He truly speaks the words of truth. And he cuts through all the falseness and exposes it for what it is. Jesus comes and speaks the truth and exposes the falseness for its lies. Jesus is our true priest. He's not a failing priest he's not who's strengthening our hands in evil deeds. Jesus is one who doesn't have to offer the blood of bulls and goats for a sacrifice of sin. Jesus is the one who offers his own life as a perfect sacrifice. He is the true priest. Jesus is our true king. True king. Jesus isn't like the kings of Judah who are faithless cowards and run away when the going gets tough or they exploit the the weak and the needy as we've just seen. That's not Jesus the true king. Jesus loves and leads his people without fail no matter what they're going through. And he doesn't exploit the weak and the needy. He lifts up the downcast to sit with him. Jesus is the true king. This is God's grace shining through the book of Jeremiah right here for us. So still, though, we have to ask this question. Yes, Jesus is the true priest, the true prophet, the true king. How do I know a false teacher? How do I know a false teacher? To discover a false teacher, you need to know the real and true teacher. You see, that's how people learn to discover false artwork or fake artwork. If you ask an art dealer how did I discover if if something's a fake or it's false, they'll tell you this. We spend hours and hours and hours studying the true. We look at the originals and we study the original artwork. So the moment we see a brush stroke that's not quite right or a colour shade that's not quite right or a pitch that's not quite right, we can see it straight away because we know what the truth is. We study the truth for hours and hours and hours. And when we do that, we can pick a false one out straight away. Just like that. Straight away, we can look at it, we can smell a rat. There's something wrong with this. So for you and I today, to discern the false teacher and to see what is false, we need to walk intimately with Jesus Christ, our teacher. We need to study him and know him So when we see him clearly and truly, we'll be able to pick out the false. We need to feed on and we need to soak in ourselves in his truth to allow that to become part of our lives. We need to hear what Jesus says about himself. We need to hear what he says about us and what he says about this world. We need to study that so we know what the truth is. We need to study the character of who Jesus is. Who is he? He's a man of humility. A man of servanthood, a man of love, a man of compassion, a man of truth, a man of justice, as we see it in all the Gospels for us. We need to study that and see that and have it clearly in our hearts and minds so when we see the false, we'll pick it up straight away. Because that person's character is not shaped after the character of Jesus Christ. We need to study his position. Who is he? He's the supreme Lord of the universe. He's the King of Kings. We need to study who he is. And as we study Jesus intimately, as we know Jesus intimately, as we walk every day holding Christ central in our lives in every aspect of who we are, Jesus will give us the ability then to discern the false from the true. 
Because if we are living in Christ and He's abiding as a word within us because we are communing with Him through His word and by His spirit and through aspects of community, all these sorts of ways, we'll be able to see that what's happening from there doesn't look right. There's something wrong with what that person is saying. Their lifestyle and their character doesn't match up to the truth they're talking about. Their life truly isn't pointing to the glory of God. And how have we discovered that? Because we know who Jesus is. And we can spot a fake a mile away. So friends, here's what we've got to do. We've got to come to this branch. This branch that God has raised up. And allow him to lead us. And to abide in him. Let me close with this, uh, this chapter, this verse here from John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, if you live in me, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, Jesus says, and this truth will set you free from the false. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you that we can come and uh, gather around your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of hearing uh, this today from the book of Jeremiah. Lord, I look at this and we see lots of devastation. We see lots of harsh words, but all those words are right and all those words are true. Your judgment is good and your judgment is right. Uh, Lord, today, I pray that you would grant us an ability to soak ourselves in the teaching of who Jesus is and the character of who Jesus is and the position of who Jesus is. That you would help us to fill our lives up with Christ and that then would give us an ability to discern the false from the true. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray, God, you'll equip us today via your spirit to do that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Quickly, I'm going to show you three things, uh, maybe four things, that will help you perhaps soak uh, yourself in the truth of God. If you can bring that first image up, um, Kath. These, these four apps that I use to really help myself uh, get in that. Um, everybody's got a smartphone or internet connection. Uh, there's one I would recommend. If you want truth and good stuff to actually build yourself focused on Christ, um, there's an app there called Designing God. Um, good stuff. Next one, please, Kath. Uh, for a younger generation, um, Renovation Church app, brilliant. Brilliant. Really, really good stuff. If you want to hear some good teaching that actually brings out the truth of the gospel, uh, Renovation Church app is a great app to get hold of. Next one, thanks, Kat. Another one's uh, Village Church app. That's Matt Chandler. The other guy was Leon Scrump before in Renovation, but that's Matt Chandler. Uh, good gospel-focused guys who actually are relevant and contemporary, but stick to the truth. Stick to the truth. And uh, last one. Um, this is a great app if you're looking for a daily devotion uh, by John Piper called Side Joys. All those are free apps. Won't cost you a cent. And they'll lead you in the path of really, really good, solid truth that'll draw you towards Christ. Okay, thanks, Babs. You can uh, come and lead us around the communion table.